the Financial Sense Lifetime Planning Program. Now, here's the Financial Sense News Team. Welcome, everybody, to today's Lifetime Planning episode. It is I, Aaron Wiegman, along with Crystal Colbert. One of the things that we're going to be bringing up today and talking about is a little bit about long-term care, long-term care planning, long-term care insurance. It's something that we've been having a lot more conversations recently about, and so we thought it might be appropriate for us to at least talk through the basics of long-term care, what it all involves, what are the ways that you wind up planning for it, you know, the types of policies, types of things that are that are out there so that it can educate you as the potential client person who's putting that into practice, the things to look out for, pitfalls, et cetera. Crystal, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. I think it's a really important topic because like you said, it's been coming up a lot in our plans and conversations about long-term care in general and kind of the misconceptions. So I think this is a great topic. I think one of the first things we should address is just what is long-term care? Sure. So long-term care is the care that you need when you're no longer able to care for yourself independently. So what does that all involve? So you wind up talking about long-term care just in general. And if you're going to be applying for some of these policies that are out there, they wind up referring to that as the six activities of daily living, bathing, dressing, transferring, eating, toileting, continence basically like the first half an hour or like hour of your day, as you consider all the things that you have to do to get ready for yourself. Right. And then outside of that, that would be cognitive impairment. So if it was Alzheimer's or some sort of memory care that that uh, that you needed help with on a regular basis, that would be another way that people wind up qualifying for these long-term care policies and needing extra help. So the other thing is, is that there's different levels of care. So different people might need, you know, different in-home type of things that are taken care of covered. So you have home health care, maybe it's a home health aid that winds up coming in a few hours of a, of a day, or, you know, there's assisted living uh, where you don't necessarily need constant nursing care or anything like that. But, you know, you just, you need to you know, have some access to a, assisted living. And then of course there's nursing home care or skilled care that's a little bit more hands-on um, as far as like the costs and as far as you know the the care that you're receiving yourself. So there's multiple aspects of this, but you know, as you're trying to come up with some sort of a game plan, make sure that your game plan would cover any number of these things, right? So you have options, I guess. Exactly. And I feel like a lot of times it's people don't really think about that they'll need long-term care or um, they just kind of don't address the issue. But who do you think truly needs it or should you know should start to think about this kind of stuff? Well, it's it's one of those things when you talk about like the people who think that they need it or don't think that they need it, a lot of that kind of comes down to what their family history has been. So, I mean, even if you wind up looking at my family history, so on my dad's side, neither of his parents really needed to do that. Neither of my grandparents really needed it. But on my mom's side, there was between my grandfather and my grandmother, there was years of skilled nursing care that they both needed and they had to use their assets for. So, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those cases, like some of them need them, some of them don't, but there is, when you wind up looking at the numbers, statistics, the studies, you know, you wind up looking at studies that say like up to 70% of people are going to need some form of care, you know, whether that be some home care, skilled care, assisted living at some point in their life, you know, but that's going to mean different things to different people. 
So you look at the average claim that people have. It might be depending on the study, you say, okay, it's about three years. But then you look at men, their average claim is about 2.2 years and women is 3.7 years. But does anyone actually like average, you know, the averages of three years? Well, you look at it and you say, well, 48% of claims are for less than a year. And only 21% of claims are right in that two to five year range. And then more than five years, it's about 14% of claims. So it could be one of those things where you, you know, if you're planning for that three-year policy or something like that, it could be good or bad. Yeah, It could be bad both ways. You're like either overpaying for that or you're underpaying for it. So you kind of have to take some of that into, into consideration because when you wind up looking at some of that stuff, if you look at family history of someone who has Alzheimer's, that could be eight to 10 years of needing some sort of help or more. So, you know, it really just kind of depends on the situation. Absolutely. Because Alzheimer's is one of those that people just forget about because you can be completely healthy physically, but then mentally you're declining. You're probably going to spend a lot more time in those facilities and those costs add up so quickly. And I think it's important to really address what those costs look like, because depending on your situation, it could be you know, very expensive. So it's important to account for that. So is there any estimated cost as to what that kind of looks like for individuals, depending on what kind of care they get? So what's the difference between in-home, assisted living, and private? Sure. So you look at, you look at that, and this is kind of based off of Jen Worth, who's a long-term care provider for, for many years. They did this study back in 2021. They update this every so often, but they were looking at in-home care and in-home care ran on average about $27 an hour. So however many hours it is that you need care, you know, that's $27, that's average nationally. But you look at that swing of things that could be $19 an hour in West Virginia or $36 an hour in Minnesota, right? <laughs> Assisted living, you know, nationally, it's about $54,000 a year. But that could mean $3,000 a month in Missouri or $7,000 a month in Washington, D.C. You look at a private room in a nursing home nationally, maybe that's around $108,000. But that could mean, this this is the biggest difference I've seen this, $378,000 a year in Alaska and $71,000 a year in Missouri. So... That's a wide range of, you know, depending on where you are, what those costs could be. And you wind up thinking about it. And a lot of it is location. Mm-hmm. So you think about some of the places, you know, maybe the cost of, if you're doing that next to the beach in California, the cost of real estate there is going to be much more expensive, right? But that might be, it might be offset because a lot of healthcare workers want to live there. So then you look at somewhere like, you know, Alaska, the cost of getting healthcare workers out there, I think that's that's probably the biggest influence on that that cost of care in some of those remote locations. And then you wind up looking at it simply as like a supply demand kind of a thing. Depending on where you are and the demographics of you know the the population, some places it's just going to be simply hard to be putting a new long-term care facility in the middle of some metropolitan area. So you wind up having to go that much further out to go ahead and uh, you know get the facilities that are required for the demographics of the area. So it, it, it's really just, it's you have to kind of look at the, the costs of that and realize what the costs are in your area, as opposed to just applying some sort of national uh, number that's out there. Exactly. And I don't think that people are aware as much of how expensive it truly is. 
And certain clients that we've worked with that have had family that have been in long-term care facilities, they're the ones that are a little bit more proactive when wanting to look into options for long-term care because they realize just how much the cost of that care really is. So I think it's important to address because it it is very expensive. And just the cost of inflation when it comes to healthcare is even higher or just significantly. However you wind up addressing it, it's just a matter of like having a plan in place. And so that, that places a big burden on families and the retirement savings that someone has in their pocket. And, you know, whatever the, uh, the affected goals are, if you were planning on giving that money to the next generation, you know, how do you wind up weighing some of those aspects of these things? Mm-hmm. So what kind of po- public programs are available if you need long-term care? So that that's one of the biggest questions you wind up having is like, well, doesn't, doesn't Medicare pay for this stuff? Doesn't Medicaid pay for this stuff? So you have to look at that and say, what does Medicare actually pay for? So um, generally, Medicare is only going to cover skilled nursing care after a hospital stay of at least three days. Your coverage is going to be a maximum of 100 days, but when you look at Medicare, that's not for chronic care. So in order to have, you know, they, in order to have Medicare pay for uh, skilled nursing care, you have to be getting better. And so if it's going to be actual chronic care, you're not necessarily getting better. So Medicare is not going to be, you know, the, the place that's going to help you pay for this kind of care. Right. And same thing with Medicaid, you know, Medicaid, It's going to contribute for long-term care costs for people who have little to no income or assets, right? So, you know, different facilities are going to be available to you if you qualify for Medicaid, as opposed to having the dollars that are coming from a policy or out of some sort of assets yourself. So different levels of care too. If, you know, I have, I've heard the question of how do I qualify for Medicaid? And the question kind of has to come down to, do you really want to? Um, because if you have the means and the ability to go ahead and pay for quality care, you probably want to be able to put a plan in place to be able to do that. So what about for the people who are like, okay, well, I have family that can take care of me. Sure. I mean, there's studies about this kind of stuff as well. And initially families say, well, I've got family, they're going to go ahead and take care of me. But I guess, you know, as you wind up having these conversations, does your family have the time, the resources to be able to do something like this in the long term, right? And what what kind of a burden is that going to be on them? Of course, family wants to be able to help out, but is that something that long term they're going to be able to do and take away from their own family and their own careers to be able to to help you out? And I mean, are, are they trained to actually give the care that's needed for you on a regular basis? And is that something that you really want to ask of them? You know, so of course they're going to be around, but it might be nice to be able to have those skilled care workers to be able to help out on a regular basis and not necessarily create any sort of, you know, weird family dynamics in that kind of a situation, because those are going to be difficult conversations already. And having to put that burden on the family members, that's certainly something the family can figure out, but it's it's a dicey conversation to have, I guess. Yeah. And I've definitely seen where especially people who are taking care of their parents, a lot of those individuals usually feel like they deserve more, you know, and it can cause some family issues, especially if something were to happen to the parents and they pass away. The last thing you want them fighting over is, you know, money or just that situation and then breaking up the family. So it is really important to talk with your family, especially if that is 
the direction you're wanting to go and making sure you have that conversation, making sure that they're ready and, you know, know what they're doing and want to do it. So, and probably have that conversation way before you need care, right? (laughs) You know, so when you think through the family dynamics, this is something that, you know, as someone who has older parents or, you know, like having those conversations early um, and, you know, with, if you have parents who are in that 60s, 70s, you know, range that proactively have those conversations with them and they have those conversations with you as, as the kids. So highly recommend that. So if I didn't want to, you know, what are my options when it comes to long-term care? What should I start planning for? So, I mean, you know, the natural thing, you don't wind up doing anything specific with any sort of like insurance policies or anything like that. I mean, you can always self-fund this stuff, right? But I guess it's a matter of just kind of saying, okay, which assets do we want to set aside in order to self-fund something like that? So if I'm looking at something that in today's dollars is going to be, I don't know, call it $100,000, $150,000 year for the cost of care, what are the assets that my children or my trustee or you know whomever it is are going to have to sell in order to pay for said care, right? So that might be, here's my retirement assets, here's my uh, investment assets, but you know maybe it winds up being, here's my home. I'm going to sell my home at that point in time to, to pay for care. Um, you know, we've had some clients that have you know, paid in, into, um, you know, wanted to get into a, a long-term care facility. And that winds up kind of being like, here's the cost of my home. I can put that down into like a down payment for this long-term care facility. And that's how I wind up funding my care, right? Um, you know, and I guess you wind up can go back and if it's not going to be assets, then we wind up saying, well, maybe it makes sense for me to somehow lever a portion of my assets and put that into some sort of an insurance policy. And so I guess these days there's, you know, some different ways you can wind up doing that. There's always the long-term care that winds up being the traditional long-term care that might have a little bit of a black eye to it because when it first came out 30-ish years ago, um, they didn't necessarily have the... I guess the experience kind of like nailed down. And so you've seen a lot of companies pull out of having traditional long-term care. Um, so there's not too many companies that are really doing that and doing that well, but some of those are have changed their policies and doing that. But that also means for higher premiums because they know that people who are getting these policies are keeping them. And so that traditional long-term care policy says, here, I'm, you know, quite simply, I'm going to pay for a premium and it's going to give me so uh, like a certain dollar per day and for how long it's going to be there. And it's, you know, it's not necessarily going to be any money back for me, but it's going to be that traditional insured kind of a risk, right? I pay a premium. If I do have that risk kind of come into play, it's going to pay out. If it does not, those might be dollars lost to me. But then the, I guess the insurance companies have gotten a little bit smarter with that. And they've kind of created some different policies that say, well, depending on what you want for your um, benefits, you can have these hybrid long-term care policies. And those hybrid long-term care policies might be built on you know, either a life insurance chassis or some sort of annuity chassis. And so what they wind up doing is they say, all right, one of three ways, however you want to lever this up, if you want more cash back potentially in the future, there might be lesser of a, a long-term care benefit. If you want more of a long-term care benefit, there might be you know lesser available cash back in the future. So you wind up looking at the, those hybrid long-term care policies. They will do one of three things. If there is a long-term care need, um, that long-term care need would be you know levered up and you can use that policy for those long-term care issues. And that could be either a, you know, with any of these policies, there's kind of the, 
Uh, actually, we can get into that in a little bit. But you know, one of three things winds up happening with these hybrid policies. You either have it for the long-term care event, or it winds up passing on to your beneficiaries if you don't have a long-term care event, right? So it's not as though it's like money lost to you. It's not like it may be a compared to some of your growth investments, maybe right. a terrible investment if you're trying to do that, but you're not doing this for the investment aspect, right? But you can actually get some of that money back, if not all of it, depending on how you wind up structuring the policy. Um, or there's just a life insurance policy. Some people wind up using this and just here's a replacement of you know the monies that are used for long-term care. I can do that with just your standard life insurance policy or some new policies actually have a long-term care rider on that. That doesn't even cost you really any money, um, but that allows you, if you do have some sort of a long-term care need, you can access the the, the death benefit early to use it for some sort of long-term care need or issue that you wind up having. So that's kind of a flexible way. If you do have some sort of life insurance policy, just for traditional death benefit needs, you can still access that for for long-term care. And then some people wind up looking at it and say, you know, maybe I don't want to necessarily sell my home, but could I still at least like tap into the assets that are inside of my home? And some people wind up doing that uh, via a reverse mortgage too. So you know, it's, it's a, you don't have to, you get still are able to live in your home. You don't like lose any sort of, um, you know, ownership of the home. You can, you live there for the rest of your life, but at least you could have those, you know, potentially for some people that winds up being their biggest asset, but it's a way for them to tap that asset and still be able to pay for said care and still be able to remain inside of their home too. So there's a variety of different ways that you can access funds for long-term care or you know strategies to at least uh, apply to this. But I guess it's just going to have to be what makes sense for you as an individual. Exactly. And I think it's really important to at least plan for you know one of these options, whether it's being self-funding or traditional long-term care hybrid, whatever the case may be, just making sure that that's in your financial plan um, because it is, like you said, 70% chance that you're going to need some sort of long-term care in the future. So it's something that we always build into the plans. So just making sure that you address it. If I were to get a long-term care policy, what would be the options to consider? Sure. So when you wind up looking at long-term care policies, I mean, kind of depends on how much of a policy do you want, right? So the greater the benefits, of course, the greater the premium. And so you kind of have to think through how long do I want this policy to last me? So we were talking about how long the long-term care um, you know, experience really was for individuals. So you say, well, do I want to have, do I need a lifetime kind of a policy or do I you know, need just a couple of years or something like that? So there's everything in between. And so you wind up thinking through it. And I mean, and my take on it is that like, it's, it's probably harder to figure out where the money is going to come from upfront. So if you don't have the money to have sort of a, a long like policy benefit, you know, maybe you wind up having a shorter policy benefit. So that at least it's not coming out of your pocket or your assets right away. So the idea is, you know, how much do I wind up getting on a dollars per day kind of a thing? Or do I wind up including an inflation rider there? So if I wind up getting it at age 60 and I don't wind up going into a nursing home until age 83, what's the difference in the cost of care at that point in time, if it's going to be going up by five, 6%, right? Mm -hmm. So age is always a factor too. So the, the older you are, of course, it's probably going to be a little bit more expensive. So the older you are, the less healthy you are. Um, those are simple things that are going to affect maybe like the cost of the premium. And typically there are 
if you're trying to do that with uh, a spouse or partner, couples do wind up getting a couple's discount. And that winds up making a whole lot of sense to make that a little bit more cost-effective. And the other thing to, to take a look at is when you look at benefits too, there's a difference between the types of benefits and how you receive them. So it's the reimbursement. So it's basically... We will reimburse you, but you're going to have to, uh, you know, give us receipts and kind of kind of prove, you know, the cost of care, you know, over time. So the reimbursement style of things, or there is the indemnity policy that says that basically once you qualify for it, we're going to give you whatever that dollar per day is, and you're you don't have to submit any sort of receipts. So two different ways that you can wind up receiving the benefits there too. And what are the tax benefits when it comes to some of these policies, and you know what people can put in place. Yeah. So, I mean, you think about it in this type of situation where we do have an aging population and this could be a burden on the state and the federal government for having to, you know, put this kind of stuff in play. They do give you some tax benefits. So when you wind up looking at the tax benefits of these policies or the care itself, so for individuals, you know, if I'm to be putting one of these policies in place, there is some tax deduction that is available, you know, so if you are itemizing your medical expenses, those eligible premiums that you are paying for this, um, as long as it exceeds seven and a half percent of your AGI, it can be tax deductible up to a certain age limit. So as you wind up getting older, they allow more of that to be tax deductible for you. You know, the qualified benefits that you do receive out of the policy, those are tax free. So it's not as though you wind up paying for this policy, you wind up having to pay taxes on the benefits that you receive. You know, so as long as it's below whatever the daily limit is, and the daily limit is pretty high. So as long as you're receiving $410 or less in 2024 from said policy, all of those benefits are going to be income tax free. And so something else to think about too is, you know, if you did have some sort of a life insurance related hybrid kind of a policy, that death benefit, that's tax free too, because it is life insurance and life, life insurance tax benefits are tax free. The other thing to think about is that if you are a business owner, right? So if you're incorporating, I mean, a lot of times thinking about business benefits and you talk 401k, you talk healthcare benefits, maybe there's some group life insurance, things of that sort. But if you are a business owner, maybe this is something for you to consider. And one of the best benefits, the most tax, uh, I guess, efficient, you know, biggest tax benefit for this is for your C-corporation owners. So for C-corp owners, all of those premiums that you wind up paying for yourself as the owner, any sort of employees that you pay for, spouses, all of that winds up being tax deductible. So it's a pretty powerful uh, you know, benefit that you can put in place for your, yourself and your employees if that's something that you want to incorporate. Um, if it's a little bit lesser, if you're looking at like pass-throughs and S-corporations, so it's the lesser of any sort of age-based limit that you wind up having, the same age-based limit that you have as an individual, um, you know, as as lesser of the premium or the age-based limit, I should say. So it's a little bit of a limited benefit for S-corp, like pass-through owners, but there still is a benefit of putting that kind of stuff in place. And so what are some of the discussions that individuals should be having um, when starting to look at some of these long-term care policies or just discussing? the need for it. Sure. I mean, I would say early planning is probably best. Um, being proactive, taking proactive measures to, I mean, even reduce your long-term care needs. I mean, a lot of this planning is around the fact that this is this is kind of like the catastrophic planning, right? I hope you, if you wind up putting money into one of these policies, I hope it's a terrible use of money, 
right? (laughs) You know, I hope you have a long, healthy life and you never have to use any of this kind of stuff. But, you know, it's the taking proactive measures to reduce your long-term care needs. If you're maintaining a healthy lifestyle, if you address any sort of chronic conditions, you know, plan for maybe any sort of home modifications for the future. So you wind up making, you know, know, things a little bit easier for yourself, you know, as time goes on. Um, A lot of that winds up making a whole lot of sense, you know, so, you know, just as well, we alluded to it before, but you probably want to have more communication with your family and have more family involvement in how you want to address potential long-term care needs, right? You want to make those informed decisions, um, you know, let everyone know, you know, update your wishes for care, updating any sort of healthcare directives, update any sort of living will. So, you, you, you know, you're not putting that together just for yourself, but you're also putting that together for your family and the people who are going to help you make those healthcare needs or healthcare decisions in the future. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the biggest thing is that you know, we, we talked about it before too, is that those with family history tend to t- kind of take some action on this kind of stuff. Um, but even if you don't necessarily have the, the family history, it's still something you need to plan for. Right. Um, and whatever that plan is, it doesn't necessarily have to be an all or nothing kind of a plan because the people who fully insure this kind of stuff for maybe a lifetime or, you know, a, you know, unlimited kind of a need, you know, that could be pretty costly, right? And you're setting aside a lot of assets that you may not be able to tap into in the future. So find the right plan that works for you, whether that's fully self-insuring something, or maybe you wind up putting some sort of a, you know, simple policy in place, like we said, to give you that upfront um, boost in insurance benefits to help you out with at least like incorporating some of those, like the the plan of care, right? So the other thing is, is like, make sure that you're actually talking to professional people when it comes to like getting guidance on this kind of stuff. Um, it doesn't necessarily have to be your neighbor or your coworker or things of that. And, you know, sometimes what I've found is that, you know, you can be maybe influenced by people who have had a bad experience with the policies of old, which have kind of influenced people from like actually taking steps to protect themselves now. Right. So a lot of the stuff that we were talking about from 15, 20 years ago is not the way that you wind up incorporating those same plans today. So, you know, in conclusion, what are some of the biggest takeaways that people should take from this podcast? Well, hopefully this gives you a good overview on what to be taking into consideration, right? And um, that long-term care planning, you know, take some proactive steps today to at least, you know, see what winds up making sense for you. You know, sometimes it isn't all about just the dollars and cents on things, but it's more about what are my options and can I do this with dignity, right? And incorporating your family into some of those decisions. Understand all the options that are available to you. You know, if that does actually align with your financial goals, if it aligns with your risk tolerance, you know, I guess what I've found is that people who have a higher risk tolerance tend to not want to insure those risks. People who have a lower risk tolerance tend to want to insure those risks. There's not a right or wrong on that kind of a thing. It just winds up being what makes sense to you. So we've had people on all spectrums of those things. You think through and you say, maybe I do have enough assets to do this kind of stuff. And I guess the example that I wind up using on that is, do you think Warren Buffett has enough assets to self-insure? And he owns long-term care insurance, right? Because he understands like, I'm leveraging dollars here, right? And that's, that's simply what he's doing. And he's he can insure that risk. I mean, he is kind of an insurance guy, but 
um, he understands the need of, or at least like the proper use of dollars to ensure a risk. So yeah, I, I guess it's really just a matter of seeking some professional advice and getting a comprehensive long-term care plan that really incorporates your overall financial planning strategy. Um, because you are looking at a lot of different things. It's not just long-term care. It's do I have the dollars to pay for said thing? You know, whether it be out of my own pocket or do I want to set aside dollars to be able to lever them up in the future? Awesome. So Aaron, if somebody wanted to reach out to you to find out more about long-term care and their options, how would they reach out to you? So you can always look us up at financialsensewealth.com. And if you wanted to reach out to me directly, phone number here at the office is 858-487-3939. Or you can email me directly at aaron.wiegman at financialsense.com. Crystal, how about yourself? If someone had any sort of questions for you? Yes. So if anyone had any questions, they can always reach me at the same number or they can reach me via email at crystal.colbert at financialsense.com. So thanks for joining us here today. If you liked what we had to say and you do have any questions, please do reach out to us. If you know somebody who you think maybe this podcast would be helpful and you think the content would benefit them, go ahead and share the podcast with them. And, you know, Going forward too, some of these things that we're trying to do is uh, we're trying to have answer financial planning questions for folks who are listening to this podcast and have some sort of issue or strategy or something that they they would like to address. So if you do want to have us uh, answer any questions that you might have, you know, please reach out to us. You know, reach out to us on the website and see what we might be able to incorporate on a future episode of Lifetime Planning. So thank you very much for joining us here today, and we will catch you next time. The Financial Sense News Hour is for informational and educational purposes only and should not be considered as a solicitation or offer to purchase or sell any securities. The investments, investment strategies, and investment philosophies discussed or presented on the News Hour each involve their own unique risk factors, which are not discussed on the show. Responses to listener inquiries are based on the personal opinions of the Financial Sense staff and do not take into account listener suitability, objectives, or risk tolerance. Financial Sense News Hour and its parent company shall not be liable for any. Any financial losses that result from investing in any companies mentioned in Financial Sense or arising out of the use of any material on the news hour, please be advised that you invest at your own risk.